in the trenches every day cause I stay on my grind If they hate, they let them make cause they won't stop my shine See me running to that money, I just want what's mine No, I don't waste no time, no, I don't waste no time Whoa, whoa Welcome back in the Feed Your Brain podcast. My name is Max, um, and today we have another episode coming. Um, we have Joe Teismann from Germany. We're actually doing it in English to make it a little more available to the to the globe. Um, he is the founder of Seeden uh, and also a Kairos fellow, which uh, we will cover in the interview as well. Um, Seeden allows f or gives the opportunity of the the home growing of cannabis and other plants and um, It's a pretty cool solution. It's a, an all-in-one solution that enables people to um, to grow cannabis in their homes with a very cool design, and it feels like it's the apple of cannabis home growing. So, um, <laughs> really like the approach of it. And um, why do I actually choose cannabis to be in the podcast as a new topic? Um, I think, of course, everybody knows that it's quite a politically relevant topic, and um, it's a very relevant topic, not just in Germany, but also in, in Europe, um, in America as well, of course. And I think we have to have a guest that knows a little bit about the industry that actually has a startup uh, covering the topic. And it's it's great to have you here, Joe. Uh, welcome back in the podcast. Well, not welcome back, but welcome in the podcast, more or less. <laughs> Thank you so much, Max Much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's cool to have you on board. Um, I mean, it's it's a very lovely and interesting topic um, since uh, all, all lots of German people wish that cannabis is legal. Others they don't want to they don't want to have it to be legalized. But um, you are actually having a startup in the topic, um, which is a little more business related, and you have to make money with it. So it's also an interesting topic. Um, maybe you can give us a little overview of who you are, why you actually started Seeden, um, just to get an to get an overview. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Joe. Um, I'm originally from Hamburg, Germany. I grew up there and went to school there. And I founded my first company also in Hamburg. Uh, we can talk about that later. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, basically, I, I moved to San Francisco after I sold my first company. That was in 2014. And, uh, and in San Francisco, medical cannabis was legal. And cannabis was a big topic. And I know if you've ever been to Hamburg, Hamburg is rather, I would say... Um, conser conservative, especially in the sense if you talk about cannabis, that's not a big topic in Hamburg, and people do consume it here and there, but it's definitely not not something you can you can openly discuss at the dinner table. Um, so for me, that was that was a new experience to see um, this kind of destigmatized environment around cannabis, and literally in San Francisco, and I, I think I can speak for for most of the parts in California, cannabis is a part of that culture. People consume mm -hmm. a lot there. Um, so I was, I was like, I was, um, I, I was, I was going there with nothing, nothing bad in my mind, and then I was, and then I was, <laughs> and then I was basically just stumbling upon this emerging cannabis industry, and um, and that was back in yeah, 2014, 15, and when Peter Thiel, um, you know, one of the first investors in, in Facebook, I think, and the co-founder of, of PayPal. Um, mm -hmm. invested heavily in cannabis. In fact, he opened up his own fund, um, $70 million fund, private holdings. And, and in, in, in Silicon Valley, you, you call those kind of, kind of moves, uh, rainmaker moves. Um, mm -hmm. because he, he, made, he, he literally, <laughs> quite literally, he, he, he made it rain for some companies. And, um, and that was, that was kind of, you know, drifting the industry and opening up the stigma um, mm -hmm. even more. And, um, 
and this is this is this this was basically the moment where I realized, wow, okay, cannabis is is certainly a thing here. Um, and I started considering um, opening up a, a, or I started looking at the industry from a different perspective, and I started looking for problems that you could solve as an entrepreneur. And this is basically how I, on a very high level, and we have more time in this podcast to, to talk about this, but on a very high level, how I got into how I got into the industry. Very, very interesting. I mean, um, I actually got aware of Peter Thiel investing in, in, in startups in the cannabis field a couple of years ago. I mean, it yep. was not to be overseen, more or less. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, I, there are other quite famous investors on the States who have also done the big steps towards cannabis. Maybe to to go a little step back, since I think it's a very cool topic with you. You are actually quite young. How old are you? I'm 23 years old now. Okay, so you're 23. You actually exited in 2014, which is four years ago. So you were you were 19. Um, no, I exited when I was um, when I was 16, I think. Yeah. Oh, you and, exited when you were 16. Okay, that's quite uh, impressive. Um, I, since we have a lot of like young entrepreneurs or people that actually want to found companies sooner or later, maybe you can give us a little uh, hint here. How, what was your relation to startup building and how was it even possible for you to exit at an age of 16? I mean, that's something that we have not covered a lot in the in the podcast. And maybe you can give us a little story here. Yes, absolutely. Um, that that was my first experience with startups. I, I didn't know anything about the term startup, VC, all these terms that you hear out there now. Um, I didn't know anything about that. I was I was simply a... A student back then in school. I wasn't. A, I wasn't even a good student. I was actually a pretty bad student. I was playing a lot of computer games. I was <laughs> playing World of Warcraft. I was. I was very good at Counter Strike, and I was really just Counter Strike Source or Counter Strike uh, 1.6 back in the old, days. <laughs> even the older ones, okay. <laughs> the old ones, and then Counter Strike Source later on. Also, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know, I was spending a lot of time in front of the computer, and you know, being. A, classical nerd if you want to want to put it that way um and i i, I realized man i maybe maybe there is a better way to spend my hours in front of the computer <laughs> rather than just spending it in these virtual worlds um you could you could have become an esports player though i could have been i i was playing in the esl league <laughs> i was really i was pretty yeah i was playing in the esl league i could have become an esports player that might have been a very good investment nowadays um right 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 you maybe know. you could combine it now with cannabis i don't know <laughs> you know what our our coo marcus snyder he is the cfo of 20th century fox here in germany he is also uh -huh. building an esports or he's actually um, building the largest esports agency here in germany and we do have some uh, collaborations coming up. <laughs> okay, so, that's interesting. Yeah. We should we're gonna cover that later, definitely. <laughs> okay, so um, but back to your question. Um, basically, I was I was I was co-founding a company um with a friend of mine. He was older. He was he was 30 years old already, and he was um, I knew him through my my mother, and I was spending quite some time with this guy, and we just we just went to cinema, and we we just we just spent time together. And um, and basically we we started selling wristbands, silicon wristbands online. So what I did was I I, I set it up a very simple online shop, mm -hmm. and he knew a sourcing partner for these silicon wristbands. Back in the days, that was I think 2007. Um, if you remember those um, um, Life Strong from Neil Armstrong, those yellow wristbands. Um, yep. For you know, 
for for uh, for a cause that's important for society you can use them for fundraising you can use them as a giveaway for um you know on 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 a on a ferry or you can you can send them to your customers to make them make them happy you can you can even print your like uh, your mantra on it to keep reminded of it um mm -hmm. so there are, there are many use cases for these little silicon wristbands and basically what we did is we just yeah, opened up an online shop i I was yeah I, I knew a little the basics of coding and I, I coded I threw together this online shop and we knew the sourcing partner and and then people started buying that people started buying these silicon wristbands and we really optimized for um, but for companies or companies or B two C customers yeah so here's the thing we we I didn't even know what what is B two B what is B two C we had a sourcing partner <laughs> for pieces um, from one we basically started selling them starting from one piece and that was I think our nowadays I know the term for it our USP I think so mm -hmm. most of the other companies in Germany were only selling those silicon wristbands if they were customized for a hundred bucks uh, sorry for a hundred pieces minimum quantity or something like that but what we did instead is we started collecting orders for let's say um, a week or two weeks so we had enough orders together so we could order from our manufacturer for a good price because we reached the minimum quantity um, mm -hmm. which was not bind to you know which was not bind to one sentence on the on the wristband and that basically allowed us to because people were willing to wait four weeks because it was a customized item they were willing to wait four weeks and our delivery time from the manufacturers in in the United States and in China were something like two weeks so we were we were able to do these you know bulk orders from our side and that 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 was the whole secret around it and that was the only reason why we were able to sell these things starting from one piece but also going up to 10,000 or even 50,000 pieces and um, and we yeah we simply just did it and people started buying in more and more and more and and that's how I got first introduced to entrepreneurship um, and was that during like that was in the middle of school time, right? It was in the middle of school time. Um, so you were the only one that actually could uh, finance nicer parties and uh, <laughs> could could do the <laughs> stuff that other people don't. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me it wasn't wasn't the parties. It was rather you know buying buying the new PlayStation and buying a television and you know right. Um, that right. was for me that was that was the party basically. Um, cool and. <laughs> And that's how it all started out. And 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 you know what, Max? I think I think this is how a lot of entrepreneurs start out. It's by um, figuring out some kind of um, a way to make arbit an arbitrage deal. That was mm -hmm. all we did. We we bought these wristbands in, in either in China or in the United States for a fraction of the price that we were selling it for here in Germany. And people were willing to sell it uh, to buy it for way more here in Germany because we had the service. You know, they had a German person to call up to and we were always there for them and we you know we it was a service part i think and and the fact that we specialized on this one item on our website and and had this little you know customization thing on the website where you could type in the name and it showed it it previewed it on a on this wristband and you know these little things on the website but i think this is how a lot of entrepreneurs get started by you know finding these arbitrage arbitrage mm -hmm. deals in the world mm-hmm 100%. I mean, that's some, uh, definitely a synergy that I see in retrospect to the interview guests that I have had before. Um, and usually, um, it's always about the solution rather than about like a certain product. I mean, uh, you, you found maybe a certain solution that there's not a, an opportunity to buy very small amounts 
um, of those wristbands, and you made it possible through through your own ways, through the arbitrage thinking, which which is very interesting. Um, from, I mean, you were 16 when you exited. Um, how did that happen? So a company came, uh, approached you to to uh, to buy the company, you a company, and you were quite sure of doing it. Did you talk to your family or friends? On strategically thinking about whether you should sell it or not, or what was your what was your thinking back then? So the story is basically a two part story. One part is very flashy, and we we sold a lot of these wristbands to big companies in Germany. We sold to um, the, the the army here in Germany, and we we mm -hmm. sold to BMW and big companies, and and it went very well. And we've we spent a lot of money on on we opted. <laughs> My co-founder he uh, he he was good at um, optimizing taxes, so we tried to. You know, tried to generate some costs internally, and we really flew first class with a new Airbus to China. And it all sounds very flashy, but you know, it just there's just no sense behind that. If you're a startup, you sh you simply shouldn't fly first class to China and and waste mm -hmm. waste all your money on on these expensive <laughs> things. I mean, for me as a teenager, um, that was that was amazing for for a certain time, but. It wasn't very sustainable, and um, and that was a conflict within within w or between my co-founder and me, um, because yeah. at, a, at a point, and he was in charge of handling all the you know taxes and so on, and uh, we yeah. were at a point where where I wasn't wasn't willing to live this kind of lifestyle anymore, and mm -hmm. um, it might sound irrational for some of you out there, but it's just you know you're not you're not just making you're not just you know earning money to spend it. You actually I wanted to, I, I didn't want to spend it on on, on on random things like you know status things and stuff like that. I, I wanted to build something more sustainable, and um, and here comes the here comes the shadow part of the story. Basically, what what my co-founder did is he he sent me an email one day, and we were making we were making good amount of money by that time. And he was he was sending me an email. Hey Joe, uh, thanks for thanks for helping me at Omband. That's the name of the company. And by the way, you can check it out. I think it's still live. Um, I'm okay. not in charge. Disclaimer: I'm not doing anything on that side anymore. Um, How's it spelled? It's own band, like having your own band. Uh, okay. O W N and then mm -hmm. B A N D dot D. -E. Okay. It looks. Oh God! I just opened it. It looks. Um, I have a dis different style. I would do it differently now, but I'm not in charge <laughs> of that. I'm not in charge of that anymore. But right, anyway, right. anyways, anyways, my my co-founder basically um, kicked me out. He sent me an email and said, "Hey, Joe." Thanks for helping me out the last years. Um, here is, you know, here's your. Thanks for being an intern at my company. Uh, here's your three or you know two or three thousand bucks for the last you know last year. You helped me. And basically said, now go away and live your life. And for security reasons, you know, I was the main admin administrator of the web page. I was I was handling all the you know passwords and everything. And he said for mm -hmm. security reasons, I had to change the passwords. And he basically tried to kick me out. So that was the first. That was my first um, first entrepreneurial experience and my first entrepreneurial fail in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've learned I've learned a lot from that. But it was I can tell you it was a tough thing back in the days because I was spending a lot of time with this guy, and he we were best friends back in the days. And um, that just taught me that it's very difficult if you mix money and friendship. It's becoming very. It can become very ugly if if everything goes well. If you fly mm -hmm. first class to China and if you're making your money and selling to all these companies, everything is perfect. But mm -hmm. it, if there is a problem arising within the company, then things can get very ugly. So 
my recommendation to you out there, doesn't matter how, how much you love your co-founder, do contracts from the very first day on, not just, you know, protect yourself, but also protect the other side. It's, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so, so long story short, I was basically, uh, forced, I was, I was selling my part of the company. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the exit I was doing. So I was selling my part of the company. The company still exists. I think it has six or seven employees nowadays, and it still runs. Um, um, yeah, I, I I'm checking on the site every once in a while <laughs> to see if <laughs> something changes. Um, but but that was my first entrepreneurial experience. Yep. Okay, which is which is amazing. I, I love the story of uh, having a very pretty part of entrepreneurship which is flying first class maybe for some people um, which is more or less just a status symbol but um, of course uh, gives people uh, maybe some sort of feeling about your life and that everything went quite well during that time but also on the other side the shadow part of, of entrepreneurship which is um, talking to to customers but also talking to your own co-founders which um, which can which can, can get can get of course very ugly in 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 uh, more or less the bad times, um, and I think right. that's a good transition to your, your your startup now because of course everything is based on a, on a quite a good team, and uh, I have actually seen your your um, your team members in in your company seen now, which is quite impressive uh, as well from uh, from their experience point of view. They're most I think you are the the youngest guy, but you're also the CEO of the company. Yeah. Maybe you can uh, can give a little in, introduction of of Seeden. What's Seeden about? What was what's the what's the vision behind it? And um, maybe we can also cover the team part because I think that's very interesting as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the f- first disclaimer: since this is a global podcast, you can grow any kind any kind of plant with our device. It's not just made for cannabis. I'll focus on cannabis now um, because it's most interesting. I think you can we can spend the most value or add the most value if, if we focus on the cannabis market. So having that said, um, Seeden is an operational hardware and software development company that's basically tackling the problems that are currently faced by the, uh, you could say world's, uh, the For- Forbes magazine said last year, world's fastest growing industry, cannabis. And um, basically what we do is we we try to democratize access to, to cannabis by giving people the the power that they can grow their own in their in the intimacy of their home. This is basically what we are trying to do. Um, so when I was living in San Francisco after I sold my part of the company, um, I, I moved to San Francisco and I lived there. I told you how I got, got first in contact with cannabis. Basically, that's a good anecdote. You asked me before the podcast to tell some anecdotes. That's a good anecdote right. I can tell here. Please. So, so um, I, I was I was living with an iOS programmer called Josh, um, good friend of mine. Now I was living with him in in San Francisco, and um, he wasn't smoking cannabis, but he was he was working at a company and um, a big company. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call out the name now, out loud now, but it was a big legitimate company. And um, one day I remember he came back from from work, and he told me about this tea room that they had at their um, at their company, and basically what it was is, um, <laughs> so once once an investor showed up at the company, it was a normal tea room. But if there was no yeah. investor around, it wasn't a normal tea room. Basically, what it was, it was you can, you can maybe say a meditation room if you know what I mean. So people were <laughs> people were consuming heavily consuming cannabis in this 
yeah, tea room or <laughs> under, um, undercover tea room as a part of their <laughs> business culture. So people were really, you know, on Fridays, sometimes maybe during the week, people were just sitting in this room and consuming cannabis to relax, to calm down a bit. And during and work I, time or after work time, or was it independent? <laughs> I don't know that. I, I could imagine. I could imagine that there were people in there at 9 a.m. in the morning in San Francisco. You never know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wake and bake. <laughs> um, so, so basically, Josh came came back to me and told me the story, and I was stunned, Max. I was, I was, wow, Josh, you were working at this company, and this is part of their culture. How can this be true? And and that was this kind of eureka moment that I had that cannabis apparently is, is accepted here in this culture. And I got very interested and intrigued by this, by this insight. And I was, you know, had a, had a little rebellish. I was always kind of a re little rebellish guy. And I, I liked this. Um, I liked this feeling. And, and I, I, I got more interested in that. And, um, and that's, that's how I basically first realized that San Francisco is certainly the place if I want to get into, if I want to get involved in the cannabis industry. Now is the time. And, mm -hmm. um, it might be a wise, a wise choice too, because as I said, Peter Thiel did this rainmaker movement and, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and might, might be a good, uh, good decision to, to look into that industry for problems. And, um, and it and it didn't take me long to to find these problems in the industry and basically you can break it down to a handful so first of all i think the distribution system itself is poor and inefficient um the demand for cannabis is pretty high mm -hmm. and it leads to supply shortages which leads mm -hmm. to very high prices of cannabis so basically users around all the world all over the world are, are forced to go to the to the black market because there's you know, cannabis still illegal and it's just in very high high demand but the supply is very limited and you know you pay all over the world i think roughly about ten ten dollars per gram cannabis and you, you have to look at this from two two perspectives one is recreational and the other one is um medical and i was more interested in the medical benefits of the plant and uh mm -hmm. and i thought ah, it's pretty tough if you if you if your doctor tells you um, to consume cannabis, but it really costs you five thousand bucks a year, and your and your and your um, insurance company is not going to cover it. How are you? How should you? How should you cover that? I mean, you know, some people might we might be able to pay for that, but a lot of people in the world can't pay for it. And um, and 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 this I thought was a, was a major problem, and, and still is a major problem in the industry. And then the th and then the second thing is um, the integrity of the product. Um, because there's no legal framework around it, I think, um, and because it's such a profit-driven industry with such high prices, prices, I think um, uh, people are and, and these farmers are using a lot of pesticides and um, to, to, to you know to grow bigger butts basically. And mm -hmm. this is a problem. The pesticide residue. This is not just a problem for cannabis. This is a problem all around the world. In fact, I think pesticides. I just read on the uh, on the World Health Organization that pesticides are the number one reason for um, for suicides worldwide. So it's, it's a major problem all around the world. But for cannabis, the problem made, uh, is that you can't just wash it off. It's not like a tomato; you can't wash off the pesticides. In fact, mm -hmm. you're making it worse <laughs> by by heating it up. So, so those those uh, two things: the pesticide residues in cannabis, so the integrity of the product and the and the price. Um, of the product, those two, two things are major problems, and those are the, the problems we're trying to solve with our solutions.
which um, I mean the, the the story is amazing, right? If, if especially if you if you look at the American market itself, it it just gives another um, it just it's just another environment of um, from the one hand politics understanding the medical benefits of of cannabis, but also um, actually people having a completely different view on cannabis, um, especially also if you look in the in the in the um, in the market in the Netherlands, it's quite same, right? In Germany, mm -hmm. we are compared to to the states, we are again a couple of years behind, of course, politically, mm -hmm. but also from a, a human perspective, understanding the diversity and the, the power maybe of cannabis being uh, in the in the medical part, uh, unregarded of what I think about it. But I think generally there are certain um, studies uh, that definitely prove that cannabis have can have a positive impact on human lives, especially in in the medical field. Um, Absolutely. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. since we both aren't um, doctors and we can't really evaluate <laughs> it on a, on a perfect level, but I think generally there are studies uh, approving it. Maybe like since we just talked or since we just um, explained the the anecdote a little bit, which which I loved, maybe you can uh, deep dive a bit, Joe, on the um, on the product now that you're building, since you're actually delivering high value to the to the stuff that you just just mentioned, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so I believe that cannabis is. I'm not a doctor. You're right, <laughs> but um, there are studies out there. So first of all, how, how did how, why did cannabis got decriminalized? It all happened because of Nixon back in the days, um, and there was no interest in the industry um, that you know cannabis was a great fiber. You could produce paper out of it. You you could produce you know painkillers out of it. Lots of different things, but the major industry, the lobbies, just was not interested in it. So Nixon decriminalized it and created the term marijuana to make it sound more Mexican. So all of a sudden he had this tool, this utility, to um, yeah, to to do propaganda on on Mexicans, and and it's still being used for that, to be honest. And sadly, so we have to be very careful with these words. Um, so um, mm -hmm. basically, yeah. Our product, what it does is it's a machine that um, that <clears throat> knows all about the plant and it's a plug-and-plant uh, plug experience. So we deliver this, I think, beautifully designed uh, greenhouse to you. So it, it has is. an att it attractive... Is. It looks beautiful. <laughs> thanks. It has an attractive design so people feel comfortable with putting it in their living rooms um, and then they just put in the plug into the wall and choose on the... It comes with an app. Choose on the app what what strain, what plant they want to grow. We give them advice, what, what plant might help, might be beneficial for them. And, um, and I can talk about, I can talk about what conditions cannabis can be good for. Um, and, and then you just have to drop the seed and, and water once in a while. And that's, that's about it. Then the machine grows, grows the cannabis for you. And, um, and basically provides you with everything you, everything you need and provides you all year round with pesticide free, um, medicine. Um, from seed to harvest in a 96% or 90% more available, uh, more affordable way. So you're just paying, you know, 50 cents per gram cannabis rather than $10. Mm -hmm. um, it grows the plant faster and it pays for itself after just one grow. So for, for me, this home growing, home growing was the optimal solution, but, um, it was also a dilemma because, so first of all, if you, if you get a medical license in California, you're legally allowed, and now since earlier this year, it's it's legal for every Californian uh, to grow up to six plants. So so you can grow, and it just intrigued me to to grow my own because that way you could be in control of what you what you consume ultimately, and you could save a lot of costs. But when you when I looked into it, 
I realized that home growing itself is I was stunned by the amount of knowledge you you have to acquire in order to really grow high quality cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, what lighting do you choose? Is it you know high pressure sodium? Is it LED? Is it energy saving bulbs? So what lighting do you use? What's the proper ratio between um, iron, phosphorus, and so on? So it's it's this wealth of knowledge that you have to overcome first, and then on top of that, you have to choose whether you want to close down an entire room in your apartment or get like one of these big ugly looking you know grow tents so all this for for one plant it's insane and this is this is why we basically started this is the home growing dilemma i say and this is mm-hmm. this is why 70% of first time growers fail and this is why we started the company and you can yeah you you pitched it pretty well <laughs> in the first sentence of this podcast it's an all <laughs> it's an all in one solution that that delivers delivers cannabis and and other and other medical herbs um right in the comfort of your living room but we don't stop here um, basically, what what the idea is to create a, a sharing economy around this. Um, so, mm-hmm. have you heard of? Uh, do you know the cannabis social clubs? Yes, this I is, do. They are big in Barcelona, also, right? Absolutely. I think in Spain only. I'm not sure in yeah. Barcelona. In Spain only, there are several hundred of these clubs. And what it is for the audience, if if, if you haven't heard of that, basically what it is, it's um, a centralized location where you hire a grower. Um, who knows all about the all about the plant and can assure high quality of your of your medicine, and he he grows the cannabis for a community and the community pays a monthly member membership fee. It's a non-profit organization and therefore they get um they get their um, harvest, and and this is this is this is all about it and it's a it's a model that that's been proven all around the world and it works all around the world. So what we want to do now is. Um, now where we don't need the centralized location anymore because we basically you can everyone can have a gardener sitting in their living room now with our machine what we can do is we can decentralize this model and digitalize it so that means that we are building uh, the first decentralized digitalized um, cannabis sharing economy so the idea is that we have a you can think of it like a dispensary you like a dispensary is, is is a place in the United States where you can buy legal cannabis. So, mm-hmm. but for us it's more like an app. So we connect all the growers that are growing with our device. Everyone is growing a different, let's say, different strain, and it has a lot of benefits because if you connect those growers, you don't have to wait for your first harvest. Instead, you can just, you know, we just connect you with with someone down the street who just who just recently harvested and. And shares, and, and then he shares some with you. You you have access to his variety, uh, to his strain. You know he he becomes access to your strain in the future. And this is this is what we what we're trying to establish here. And this is this is what we are building at the moment. Um, so that's that's also part of the solution. It starts with the it starts with the um, starts with the hardware device itself, but then it goes further to to uh, to sharing economy, and and maybe some some. Um, some way of thinking why we are why we are building this is um, I think as an entrepreneur you should fall in love um, with the problem itself and not with the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something this is something yeah I've I've learned and yeah. Great, we will definitely deep dive on that. I think that's a very interesting uh, learning, um, focusing on the problem instead of the the, the solution. Um, one thing that I actually I was smiling about was. Generally, I've I've just read a couple of uh, of weeks ago that we are in a transition phase currently, where you observe that people are 
going back from very um, stone-related houses back to uh, wooden-based houses. People are mm. becoming um, more, uh, more people becoming more vegan. Uh, mm -hmm. People are getting more involved into the natural part of life. And I mm -hmm. think it's very interesting to, from that point of view to understand, okay, especially in the States, we have lived in an industry where cannabis or the cannabis industry was owned by... Um, by more or less the farmer industry maybe and mm -hmm. uh, bigger bigger companies and now we are also in in that industry again going back from big companies more to individual individual home growing where everybody feels uh, mm -hmm. or everybody knows what's actually happening or what they are growing and how they're growing it so it really goes back to um, to more an individualized uh, way of living, especially in the, in the industry cannabis, which which I find mm -hmm. very interesting to observe that here. And I, what I love about your product is that you really combine um, just a basic need of growing a plant to a community factor. So you really combine different people uh, that, that have the same interests and uh, want to share their experiences with their plant or with their um, with their cannabis um, uh, um, cannabis um, plant more or less and I think it's it's mm -hmm. a great way to to get people interacted again and uh, especially if you look at the Netherlands you observe that people live cannabis in more like a cafe style we do in Germany right we mm -hmm. here in Germany you meet people in the cafe or you drink a beer at a, at a bar and in the Netherlands and especially in, in, in the United States you meet people at the next cannabis shop or maybe at the next next home to yeah um, to to interact. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Cannabis is incredible, and and just for recreational usage. I mean, recreational basically is, I think, a term coming from the military in the United States. And what it was is re recreation. So it's 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 something that you um it's, it's it's something you do to get energy for the next in 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 the in the war terms for the next fight basically. And now we're not talking about war. Recreation is something you do. You know, if you we are living in a very fast world nowadays, and and stress is the epidemic of the 21st century, I think in the Western world, stated by the World Health Organization. And I think, you know, every two seconds, someone dies because of stress. And Germany is, we're sitting, I'm sitting here in Berlin at the moment, and Germany is, is very high on that, on that ranking. And um, they spend billions every year on stress prevention. And I strongly believe that cannabis can be a cure for stress. And it's not just my belief. In fact, last month, there was a new study um, coming out of Harvard, suggesting the same that cannabis can reduce your stress level and levels. And this is, it sounds all new and it sounds all novel, but I mean, humans have been consuming this plant for thousands of years. And as I said, only, only because Nixon decriminalized it and basically Germany and all the other states followed up on that um, move. And, and it's, it's crazy. Now it's, now it's the reverse again. And, you know, the states are legalizing it again and, and Germany and so on are following up, I think. So it's, it's crazy. But the plant itself is magical. And, um, and yeah, and, and I, I want to make access to that. And I want to help people with, with this plant. And ultimately, you know, in the same way, you can say Uber is probably the biggest cab provider in the world without owning mm -hmm. a single cab. And, and Airbnb right. is, is probably the biggest accommodation provider in the world without owning a single property. Seeden and our company aims to become the biggest cannabis provider without owning a single gram of cannabis. And, mm -hmm. um, and this, is, this, is, this is what we're trying to do, yeah. Which um, is also why, why it's not a very political podcast, right? We're not talking about legalization. If it, like, uh, we're, not, we're not into the political field, but we are more on the business-related topic on how you want to solve a certain problem in the field, which, which, is, uh, which is a different perspective, I believe, on, 
on the topic. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. to 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 um, to give a little overview for the listeners, since uh, of course uh, there are people that maybe are interested in the industry uh, and um, maybe have have read about it. But what's the current standpoint for you on the industry? I mean, Canada Canada has just uh, legalized weed a couple of weeks right. ago. Uh, yep. I think a day after we have seen each other personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, the United States is following up in different states, um, mm -hmm. especially more in the modern states. If we think about California and uh, New York is coming up. And, um, what do you observe from like a more objective standpoint? What is happening in the industry now from a political view, but also from a business perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of things are happening and it's very, it's messy. It's like the Wild West. It's very tough, um, to really observe that. And it's also tough to do business in the States because the, the law is just changing, changing so fast. Um, I think at the moment it's looking very well. As you said, you know, Canada legalized as a first G7 nation worldwide, um, cannabis, not mm -hmm. just for, not just for, um, not just for medical uses, but also for recreational usage. And, and I think at the moment, um, with the upcoming election in the United States, um, the parties are using cannabis as, you know, as a tool for, for their election. And, and the, the people want cannabis. People are, I mean, worldwide, 250. This is, this is twice, I think, yeah, nearly twice as big as Mex, as the Mexican, as, 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 as people live in Mexico, twice as many people consume cannabis worldwide on a, worldwide on a regular basis. So people are doing this. There is no, you could, this is just a fact. You, there's no way around it. And, and I think the politicians are either they, they, they face that and they handle that and they create a legal framework around it, which would, in my, this is just my personal opinion, would save a lot of, lot of lives and make a lot of lives better um, or they don't and um, and I think in in Canada and in the United States they are realizing the economic potential of, of that plant um, and and you can make a lot of money with that uh, a lot of you know you can earn a lot of tax money with cannabis you can you can tax it pretty highly what they do um, and and you can make a lot of money with it so so there's a strong economic incentive for governments um, in the United States and Most companies are are really listed at the Canadian Stock Exchange, you know, Turay and Aurora and those companies. They are, mm -hmm. and they they exploded over the past. They explode. The stock price exploded over the past years. Um, I think it's at the moment it's it's probably a bit overvaluated. Let's say by twenty percent overvaluated or even a little more. Mm -hmm. But um, it's still it's still a you know. The prohibition ends, and and all of a sudden, all the cannabis consumers are. Can, can legally buy cannabis. So yes, it is a billion dollar industry. Will it grow all the way up to 120 billion dollars yearly? I don't know, but certainly I think to 60 billion dollars by 2022. So it is a major market, which 60 billion would be twice as big to give you a reference, twice as big mm -hmm. as a sugar industry in the States, which already is pretty big, I think. Um, so insane. there is a lot of money to, to make in the industry and, um, and a lot of people are getting interested in it. And not just mm -hmm. those who, who were already in the industry, but really professionals. Really, they, they teach courses about cannabis and cannabis entrepreneurship at, at, at the Ivy League schools in Harvard and so on. They teach that nowadays to those, um, to those students there. So it's, it's definitely opening up. It's very fast, fast growing. It's, um, what's funny is, um, as we are speaking, there is the largest conference in, uh, about cannabis in, I can't be there, but I have I have my my team there in in Las Vegas at the moment, mm -hmm. and um, 
I'm sure there there are new new unicorns getting born there. And you know, my thesis is just now is the time where the market gets distributed. Now is the time where where if you start if you start out now, you will probably become the big player later on. And mm-hmm. so it's a very good time to enter the market. And I'm right. I'm all in. <laughs> You are you are all in, and I think uh, what's you are definitely building a product that is giving a different different solution for for the industry and uh, gives people the chance to really um, build plants just at their home with a cool design. And design is another uh, word that I want to cover before we go into more like a Q and A part. Um, I mean, there's lots to cover more. I mean, you have also been in Tanzania. Maybe we can do another episode about your experience there. I think it's also very interesting. But um, about the the design perspective, um, since we are also focusing more on the tech and design part in the podcast, mm-hmm. why did you guys? I think uh, everybody should definitely check out um, the Seeden p- homepage and definitely check out the design because I think yes. it's really the the apple of uh, apple of, of cannabis home growing. But um, why did you actually choose the design? Maybe you can give some anecdotes again of how complicated it was actually to build such a design-focused product um, because I think people can, re- or maybe you can really build like a, what you have actually been learning from a design perspective and w- what you would give forward because I think it's very lovely how, how the product looks like. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, the, the thesis was, you know, cannabis is very stigmatized and people have, you know, very strong opinions about it. And, and even though it's legal now in the States, um, if you go to the dispensaries, you, you, and I've talked to those people, you know, the 40-year-old housewife doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with associating with this cool skater kid who, who smokes pot all day. So there's still a stigma, <laughs> there's still a stigma around it. And, um, and, and I think it's, um, when we built, when we built Seeden and when we built this greenhouse, we had to realize that because those, if, if the design is unattractive and if the design does not, um, does not, does not show something that, you know, that does not look very legal, if you know what I mean. Like these big mm-hmm. ugly grow tents, these black, black, big grow tents, they just don't seem to be very legitimate. They seem to, they are very industrial and just doesn't feel, doesn't feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was important that we designed something that, um, that really looks, legitimate that you feel proud of that you don't want to hide in your basement that you if you have a dinner party at home that you feel comfortable with showing your friends or even your your mom and your, and your dad so so for me it was it was it was clear that we need we need to come up with a design that's yeah that's stylish that people can want to associate with that people want to yeah that people want to put it in the center of their living room and mm-hmm. that makes sense from a business perspective because we are the ones that can access the offline world now and we are the ones having you know a hardware device sitting in the homes of people um it's similar to you know amazon amazon alexa and home uh, what is it called google home i think and mm-hmm. and so on it's similar to to their strategy getting into the offline world i think nowadays it's it's not about um not about getting getting to customers online anymore i think it's about getting to customers offline and we are following that strategy with seeden Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was that was that was part of that was part of the promise um, of the design and and then another another aspect to it is is a more technical one. So it's a round shaped design. If you go mm-hmm. on the website, um, I will drop the name now. I hope you, <laughs> it's okay. Getseeden.com. If you go on sure, the website, yeah. you can you can see the design and um, 
And it's a, it's, it's a circular shaped greenhouse, which has benefits for the plant because the plant is kind of growing in a circular way. And it's, even though it's not using optimal space in your room, maybe, um, it's using optimal space for the plant and, um, and it has benefits to the reflection of the light and so on. So there, there were different, different, different patterns that we followed. One was it has to be socially accepted. So it has to look beautiful. People have to associate with it. And then there were different, um, yeah, really more like technical, technical constraints to it. Like, um, we wanted to build something that was modular. So that, that the system itself can basically grow with your plant. So you get easier, easier, uh, use, more easy use to, use to this new piece of furniture in your living room. So it, you mm -hmm. just stack up height to it. And, and this, the circular shape allowed all these things. And, and this is why we decided to, to come up with a design that you can see on the website. And, and I think design is, design is very important. Design is very important if you want to convince people to, to do certain things. And you can, you can, uh, we can, we can use the term design even, even wider. Like I think also part of the design of Seeden is that, um, customers are part of the growing journey. You know, there are devices in the United States, um, that automate the whole process of growing. Really everything, um, which means mm -hmm. you don't have to you don't have to water anymore, you don't have to give fertilizer anymore, and so on and so forth. And we actively decided not to de not to design a product like that because we wanted the user to be part of the journey. Because mm -hmm. not only that home, not only because home growing itself, especially cannabis home growing, but home growing itself reduces your stress levels. Um, just the act of Treating a plant, giving, you know, it's a rewarding process. You have to water it. If you don't water it, it dies. Um, so you're kind of responsible to it. And people nowadays, I was, when I was in San Francisco, um, earlier this year, I saw everyone now has a puppy there, you know, a little dog. So people, <laughs> people, people want things to take care of. It's similar to the Tamagotchi. I mean, it sounds, if from a very logical perspective, it sounds, kind of very irrational. Why would you buy a little thing that annoys you and tells you, hey, feed me, and then you have to push a button. If you don't push it, it, it dies, and you have to throw it away. I mean, that sounds terrible for me if someone would have pitched it in that way. But, mm. but ultimately, it was, a, it was a huge success because people all of a sudden created an emotional relationship to this physical device, and they felt, you know, they, it created empathy, and it, it created things that might be difficult to find in our world nowadays. And this is, I think this is very strong. And we wanted to integrate that in our product that not only because it reduces your stress level by gardening and it's, you know, part of, part of our therapy. So one part is the medical herb and the other part is this kind of cogni um, a cognitive therapy that you actually have to garden and have to, have to take this slow time in your day. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but also because, uh, because basically, um, yeah, because it, it, it basically creates a more loyal customer ultimately because it's, it's creating a habit. You have to, you know, you have to spend more time with the device and so on. And it's ultimately it's, it's creating a, a more loyal customer and people feel uh, at the end, they feel proud of the product. They feel proud of the cannabis that they've created and they can go to their friends and say, Hey, look, I've grown this plant. And those are very, very great um, emotions that we wanted to create in our design. And those were all thoughts, and, and, and this was kind of the, the way of thinking that, that we had or I had when I created this um, machine and, and, and this company. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, it's incredible. I think what you have really said is that 
design actually builds the customer experience and the customer experience more or less builds the trust uh, with the customer and trust is, um, I think, everything nowadays uh, when you when you want to offer a product. So I think that's a very interesting interesting step point here. Uh, thanks for 100%. sharing. I think there was lo lots of lots of value. Do you still have um, three to four, five more minutes, or is it difficult? Then we would uh, deep dive a little into like short Q and A's. No, absolutely. I just have to um, take a bite from the apple, if you don't mind. <laughs> I can mute my my microphone. No, no, you don't need to mute it. And it's definitely, uh, <laughs> okay. definitely that that makes it more more authentic. Uh, I'm also drinking a uh, a tea now, which maybe some people have heard in the interview. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, maybe to to one 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 question. Um, uh, um, since you can also think about it, why you bite in in the apple is uh, book book recommendations. Um, people are very interested in reading books in the community, and um, if you have uh, two books that you would recommend from a from any perspective, doesn't really matter, right? Could be the cannabis industry, could be leadership topics. Uh, which two two books uh, would you recommend? Ooh, two books, that's a tough one. Um, there are plenty of awesome books. I'm not sure if, if it's really two, but I can give you my... So so if you're interested in design and if you're interested in building products, um, I like the book uh, Hooked from uh, Nir Iyal. I'm not sure if I mm -hmm. pronounced that well. Yeah. Uh, Nir Iyal, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And, and this is basically where I learned the things that we just talked about. Um, Hooked, that's one of the books. Mm -hmm. And another one... Let me think. Would be another good book. Um, probably, um, I think the design of everyday things, and and mm -hmm. those are the ones that are very related to what we talked about. Um, there are plenty of other great books. Um, Thinking fast and slow by Daniel uh, Kahneman is is amazing too. But I think mm -hmm. the design of everyday things is is incredible and gives you a new mm -hmm. perspective on the world. You know, for example, if, if there is a door and the door has a knot and and the knot basically um, tells you to, to pull on the door, but sometimes mm -hmm. you have to push on the door. So so it's so those little design things now so so because the design in the world is not perfect, they now have to put little <coughs> signs on the door which say push or pull. If if mm -hmm. you if you had a door which you should push on, just put a plate on it and you can't pull mm -hmm. on it, right? You can only push <laughs> on it. So so you're forced right. to push on it. You cannot pull on it. You're not gonna uh, you're not gonna try to pull on it. How how would you? So those mm -hmm. little things, those little things in the world, and the book gives you like a very nice perspective on those things and um and those are the ones I would recommend um when you when you create um when you create uh yeah when you design a product and then maybe one more uh mm -hmm. is um uh what is it? platform scale it's called i think if you look at the unicorns nowadays i think four out of five of them are platforms so i'm very interested mm -hmm. not just because i want to build a unicorn but um it's simply i think those are the companies affecting the world probably mostly so one book i can recommend reading on that topic is platform scale um mm -hmm. By oh gosh, I don't know. If you Google it, you will find the the author. I don't know the author anymore, to be honest. But that's mm -hmm. a, that's a really great a great book on on how to how to build a platform model and and what's the difference between the platform models and pipeline models and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. those are probably my recommendations. Yeah. 
Fantastic. We'll definitely uh, put them in the show notes so that everybody can uh, can take a look. Um, in regards to tools, is there anything like, are there certain tools that you use uh, that you wanna uh, wanna share? Maybe uh, besides the the usual ones, maybe that help you help you to to stay organized. Yeah. Um, so besides Trello, Slack, and all the stuff that you already know, um, I think a really time efficient way, um, if you are in this so i think a very a very handy and very necessary tool for every entrepreneur is doing sales whether you want to sell your product whether you want to um, uh, sell parts of your company and acquire capital for equity you mm -hmm. have to be able to do sales and it's so one part of doing sales is being emotional and pitching a story and doing all that another part is very technical again And um, which is going on AngelList, searching for your leads, and 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 creating your long list, um, which which the uh, with the with the names you want to address and you want to pitch to, creating your short list and going so on so so on and so forth. Of course, and 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 a tool that really helped me to to hunt down those those people are um, is Rocket Reach. Rocket Reach mm -hmm. is basically a tool you can you can type in a name or you can go on. It's a little plugin for Chrome. You can go on a website um, and it tells you the email addresses. Um, so this is really helpful if you really want to want to reach out to a person. Um, mm -hmm. You can you can you can use that tool Rocket Reach. That's mm -hmm. kind of a, gro a growth hack. It makes cool. things a lot easier easier. Uh, that was the one. And then another one is um, more like a way to structure your work um, is Pomodorino. It's this little. It's a. Have you heard about that, Max? I know the, Pom the Pomodoro po technique. Is Pomodoro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I totally mispronounced it. It's Pomodoro. You're right. It's, it's a, <laughs> okay. It's a, I, I like, always say Pomodorino <laughs> because there's this little, this little pizzeria, this little Italian restaurant behind my building, which is called Pomodorino, <laughs> and it's selling, it's selling delicious okay, pizza. We, we, <laughs> we did some, uh, we did some advertising for your pizzeria as well, so it's. It's all good today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really great. And then the the tool on your laptop, it's called uh, on your MacBook, it's called uh, B Focus Pro. You can download this little app and uh, and it keeps you reminded of of doing this five minute breaks. So how how it works is um, you do you do tw 20, I think twenty minutes twenty minute uh, sprints. So you are very highly focused for twenty minutes. Then you take a short break of maximum five minutes. And then you do this four times in a row, and then you do uh, one longer break, let's say 10 or 15 minutes. And, and you feel uh, like you're more productive with it? Definitely, yeah. I feel like I'm more productive with it. And it just gives you a nice way to, to measure your your work. And I say what you know what gets measured uh, gets managed. So right. you can set your, your Pomodorino. <laughs> how, how, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> Pomodoro, I think that's Pomodoro, I yeah, I think you're Pomodoro, you're totally right, Max. Pomodoro. <laughs> Pomodorino is um, also nice, so I can <laughs> The Pomodoro gives you gives you a nice way to measure your um your, your your performance during the day. So you can set goals for how many sessions you wanna you wanna get done during the day. Mm -hmm, cool. Um nice, love it. I will also put them in the show notes for everybody interested. Um in regards to time management, how do you keep to do's um managed? Do you have a to do tool and do you have it organized in somewhere? Do it with pen and paper or with Pomodorino or <laughs> <laughs> So uh man, you you're asking the tough questions here. The, the to do's. I'm so probably the 
the the single advice, the, the one single advice that I I would give you out there is, um, don't set up too many tasks for your day. And if you're like if you're an entrepreneur, I think you tend to be you know a perfectionist, and you tend to tend to be not happy with you. At least I'm. I used to. I used to be not happy with my performance after the day. I used to, ah oh, man, I could have could have done more. I could have did it. This keeps me running, but it's also it's also stressing me out sometimes. So, mm-hmm. so one thing that I've learned is um, set only set one or maximum two things in the day that makes the day a good day. So, sit down in the morning and or even in the evening before before the next morning and write down what first of all what what good have you done during the day that helps you realizing. Realizing that, and then what could could you have done better, and and then and then what what do you want to do tomorrow? What's the one thing you want to achieve tomorrow that makes the day a, a good day, and um, and really just try to get this one thing, thing thing down. If it's you know finish your pitch deck or whatever it is, just do this one thing and don't try to do too many things at once. Cool, love it. That's a very, very good topic. Um, I think especially if you, if people want to have more resources on that, I can recommend two people. Tim Ferriss, of course, is a master in in the topic, but yep. also um, um, Robin Sharma, um, who has written uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Maybe some people know that. Um, he has also written and uh, has a lot of videos about the topic. So. Um, also very knowledgeable knowledgeable person so thanks for sharing i think that's a very very good um good insight here um is there like one routine that you want to share uh, that you have in your life uh, one routine that helps you to to keep uh, to be in the motion that you want to have mm. i tend to I, I used to meditate so i, I take 30 30 minutes a day to meditate um when i get up i have a rooftop here in berlin so i used to go up on my roof here um and and, and meditate on there that's really Calming me down, getting me prepared for the day. Um, mm-hmm. That's my routine. Other than that, um, yeah, asking me these simple questions. This is this is something going back um, to the antique, um, to the philosophers back in the days. Doing these, ah, it's a philosophy on how to live a happy life. And and basically by asking you these three questions that I just said, what could have I done today, and what could have done better, and what do you want mm-hmm. to do tomorrow? This this really this is my routine and this really gives me this kind of stable framework because entrepreneurship can be hard and it's definitely not easy and and I've been at points where you are like oh am I am I driving crazy now am I crazy already is it me is it, is it is it the others that are crazy is it me that's crazy what's going on so yeah. you definitely need some kind of framework and some you need you need some friends that you can talk to and only also like friends that are not necessarily business related and it's um so people that are completely out of what you're doing have completely different values maybe even and and i think that that really helped me over the time you know talking to these people or having having a number that you can call up to and if 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 you're going through tough times having this friend that helps you um that's really important i think fantastic last words um thanks joe um really appreciated uh, your time i think we covered quite a lot so thanks uh, sorry yes. uh, actually <laughs> on, on that regard also for overtiming a bit um i hope that's not a big problem but nevertheless i really appreciate it i think there was lots of value in it and uh, thanks for for your time thanks max i hope that helped some out there and thanks it was a pleasure for me and an honor to be on your show that was great thank you so much love you see you